Joshua chapter 3. Joshua got up early in the morning, and they moved from Shittim and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, they camped there before they crossed over. After three days, the officers went through the middle of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of Yahweh, your God's covenant, and the Levitical priests bearing it, then leave your place and follow it. There shall be a space between you and it of about two thousand cubits by measure. Don't come closer to it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow Yahweh will do wonders among you. Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of Yahweh your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will not, that he will without fail drive the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite out from before you. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, for every tribe a man. It shall be that when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan will be cut off. The waters that come down from above shall stand in one heap. When the people moved from their tents to pass over the Jordan, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant bring being before the people. And when those who bore the Ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark had dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the time of harvest, the waters which came down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great way off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those that went down towards the Sea of the Arabah, even the Salt Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people passed over near Jericho. The priests who bore the Ark of Yahweh's covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the nation had passed completely over the Jordan. So in Joshua chapter 3, they spend their last three days right on the banks of the Jordan, and the Jordan River is swollen at this time of year because of spring. So what happens is you've got extra rain further up north, and it all gets channeled down, um, down the river, and the river becomes impassable. At the end of the last chapter, it says that the two... The two spies went across the Jordan and back to the camp. So some people have said, well, how come the two spies could do it, but everyone else couldn't do it? Well, the truth is, if, if you're just two people or one person and you're just on your own, you can swim across. <laughs> but you can't swim across when you've got two million people with children, babies, ox carts, um, you know, all their possessions, gold, silver, clothes. It's just, it's just not possible to take that type of a thing across a swollen river. 
Whereas, you know, one or two individuals can swim across, the current might wash them downstream or whatever, but they'll get over, it's all fine. So they just swam. But we've got something interesting here where God says to Joshua that I'm going to magnify you in the eyes of all the people. And he tells Joshua what to do. And basically what had to happen was that the, the, the priests, which were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they had to march and step into the river of the Jordan and then the water was going to stop and it was going to start backing up at some point way upstream at the, at the town called Adam. So there's this town called Adam, which in today is called Adama. And it's, it's like 17 miles upstream or something, or 13 miles upstream. It's like a fair way up. And when the priest stepped into the water, the water stopped at that point upstream. So I guess the water just started, continued down, because as I explained in the last video, the Jordan drops rapidly. So the water would have flown away, and it may have taken a few hours. And the priest just remained there as the water level would have got less and less and less until eventually there was nothing, and they, everyone could just walk across. And um, I'll explain about how that could have happened in a minute. Um, definitely a supernatural thing. But what I think is the most interesting point here is that um, it's the huge amount of faith that would have been required to do this. Because <laughs> when, um, when they crossed through the Red Sea in, in the book of Exodus, you know, they were there and God was very clearly at work. Like you can imagine the Red Sea opens up before them. The, the Egyptian army is behind chasing and it doesn't take much faith to say if we stay here we're going to die quick bolt across the Red Sea <laughs> but here in at the Jordan there's no sign of God doing anything Moses just says to them step into the river and when you do you're going to see God's wonders so it's, it would have seemed very weird for the priests to walk into the river carrying that Ark of the Covenant. And you bear in mind that the water stopped flowing upstream, like 17 miles upstream. So that it's not like the minute their first foot stepped into the water, it's just all clear. It's not like that. The water flowed away and it would have taken a number of hours or even longer. And the priests are standing there in the river. I think it would have been a great test of faith. It would have been a great test of faith for the people to trust Joshua but the Lord said to Joshua in this chapter, he said, I'm going to magnify you in the eyes of all your people. And so even though it wasn't an instantly quick process, it was fairly quick. And I think that as the people saw this happen, they realized, wow, the Lord is with Joshua. And I believe this is, would have given them a lot of confidence to do all the things that came, especially the thing of Jericho where they had to walk around the city seven times before the walls collapsed, that would have seemed a very strange thing to do. So whatever Joshua told them, they trusted him. And the Lord tumps, and remember Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we have to trust him. <laughs> and he's not only ever go, he's not only going to say things that make sense. There's going to be times where Jesus tells us to do things that don't make sense. And <laughs> the key, there's two keys. One is listening to him. Paying attention, being a listening people. But the other thing is when he says something, do it, even if it doesn't make sense. And so just as these people trusted Joshua and the Lord magnified him, then we need to trust Jesus as well. So in this story, the priests go in front carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. And so what we need to keep in mind too is that in our lives, there are things that God wants to do. And if God goes before us and we follow him, we'll find that we succeed in everything we do. But 
What we often tend to do as Christians is we tend to have our own ideas and we rush into places where God hasn't gone. God's not there with us or he hasn't gone before us. Sometimes we know what God wants, but we're too keen to do it our way and we rush ahead of God. Now, if you go anywhere where God isn't gone, or if you rush ahead of God, it doesn't work. We need to be people following the Israelites here who follow the leading of God and, we, and he goes before us and we follow him and our trust is placed in him. Now, um, the water backed up to the city of Adam. That's what the Joshua chapter 3 tells us. Now, interestingly, Adam is a person, the very first human being. Now, you remember who was the person that brought sin into the world? Adam. But who's the person here that steps into the Jordan River with the Israelites leading them? Joshua, picture of Jesus. So we've got a picture here of Jesus parting, basically Jesus making a way for us to cross through an insurmountable problem and then the water's back all the way up to Adam. We've got a picture here of Jesus coming into the world and making a way for all people, not only the ones that were to come after Jesus, but all the way back to Adam. Sometimes we think that Jesus' salvation, his death on the cross was for our salvation, but we think, what about those people who were born before Jesus came? Well, Jesus' salvation is for them too. <laughs> all the way back to Adam. And um, the only, you know, what difference does it make when you place your trust in Christ? What, what, what matters is that you do place your trust in Christ, even if you're looking forward to there being a Redeemer and you put your trust in the Redeemer that was to come, or we're looking back to our Redeemer and we're placing our trust in Him. So there are people in Scripture like Job who says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Well, he's someone who looked forward and placed his trust in a Redeemer. Or you've got people like Abraham who looked for the city of God. He, he had faith in God. He placed his trust forward into a Redeemer. Or King David, who committed sins that weren't covered by the Levitical system because they were willful sins. But he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgression. Well, he was casting himself at the foot of the cross. He was placing his faith at the feet of the Redeemer. And so Jesus' intervention for us, it made a way that was impossible. And it went all the way back to Adam. And that's what we have a picture of here. Very, very interesting. Now, some people are very skeptical about these types of stories because they think it's just theological only. It's just made up by an author. It could not possibly have happened. I want to tell you that in 1927, there's been two times apart from this story where the Jordan River has stopped flowing and has backed up that we know of. One was in 1927. And I found an article in the... Uh, news.climate.columbia.edu website. It's um, Columbia Climate website. And the uh, writer called Kevin Krajic wrote about an event in 1927. In 1927, there was a, um, an earthquake which caused a landslide. So the Jordan River goes through some parts further up near where the city of Adama is, where there's cliffs on either side, and the Jordan River has cut through. So there was this earthquake and it caused one of these cliffs to landslide in and basically create a dam for the river. A dam, Adam. But it, it basically blocked the river and the river stopped flowing for more than 24 hours. So downstream, people found, oh, where's all the water gone? It's just stopped. It's just empty. But then a day later, the pressure had built up behind that dam that it burst through and just went again. So we have this example within the last 100 years 
of this exact type of thing happening. But also it happened in the 1200s as well. None of it, no one was alive to see it, but there's written records of that having happened. So we've got these examples of the Lord causing an earthquake and a landslide, which blocked the Jordan temporarily. Now, some people would say, oh, it's just an earthquake. God didn't do it. First of all, we don't know how God did it. We just have this example of an earthquake and a landslide being a way that it could have happened. But for me, if God did it that way or any way, it doesn't really matter. But let's assume God did it via this method, landslide and earthquake. His timing is impeccable. He told Joshua the day before, this is what I want you to do. And then the Lord has to cause that earthquake and that landslide to happen several hours before the priests step into the water because the water's still coming. And at the moment that they step into the river, the water starts dropping. <laughs> the timing of God is amazing. It's completely supernatural. Even if you think there's a natural cause like a landslide, it's still a completely supernatural event. Or, of course, the Lord could just have done it with his own uh, mighty power like he did with the Red Sea. That's com You can't explain that any other way. So the Lord's completely capable of doing fully supernatural things, but the Lord often uses a natural event to cause a supernatural thing to happen, as probably is what's happened here. So the Lord's timing is impeccable. Now, the city of Jericho is just a few miles on the other side of the Jordan River, and they could probably have seen all of this. They could have seen the flooded river. They could have seen... Uh, in a distance, the camp of the Israelites on the other side, and then they would have observed, suddenly all the water is gone, <laughs> and then all the people are coming over. Can you imagine how insane that would have been to have watched? And they already knew that the Lord dried up the Red Sea for them to come through. Rahab told us that in the last chapter, and then they saw this. I think there would have been pandemonium in Jericho. Very, 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 very difficult, scary moment for them. And so... Uh, I just think it's remarkable how when the Lord is with you, there's literally nothing that can stop you, even the, the swollen banks of an entire river. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really glad that we have the Lord. And uh, if you're not walking with the Lord, do what Joshua said to the Israelites in this chapter. Sanctify yourselves, for the Lord is going to work among you. That's what we've got to believe. Lord, I ask you to help us. We want to see your wonders in our lives, just as the Israelites did back then. We want to see your work among us. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us that so often we've not been sanctified people. Thank you, Lord, for your wonders. Thank you, Lord, that you dried up the Red Sea for the Israelites. And then 40 years later, you dried up the Jordan. Lord, you made a way. Lord, I thank you that you made a way for all of us at Calvary, right back to Adam. I thank you, Lord, that, that it was impassable, but you made it passable. Because of, because of Jesus. Thank you for these things. And Lord, I ask that our gratitude and our appreciation for you would grow and grow and grow. That our love for you increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.